You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Back from break, I'm your host, Vadim, from Comfrog Recording. And I'm Ben from Dream Out Studio. It is good to be back, Vadim. We've had a nice break. Man, I really struggled through that intro. I know, we're off our game. We got to practice. Got to get back into practicing our intros before we start. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be like riding a bicycle, but it but it wasn't. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the the answer is we should actually start practicing our intros because we've definitely never done yeah. that before. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's time to start a year into the podcast. It's time to start having a plan for our intros. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let's make that a New Year's resolution. How have you been, man? I I know that we saw each other earlier today on our other meeting, but it's been really a month since we've really talked to each other. Yes, at least on the podcast. And I've been yeah. good. I've been good. I took uh, a big vacation and I didn't really realize until like halfway through the vacation how burnt out I was. It's amazing yeah. what this this home yeah. quarantine life will do to you. But my wife and I took a really cool vacation. So we we were kind of determined to see her family and go out west to California. But obviously COVID has a lot of challenges with it. So she's got a big family. So we decided on this plan where we were going to travel out there, then quarantine for the allotted (laughs) period of time, then get tested. And then assuming a negative test result, then we were all going to convene in her parents' house. But the cool thing was that we quarantined in Joshua Tree National Park, which I'd never been to before. And man, I tell you, it it was a phenomenal time and, uh, you know, we just spent the, just like hiking around. It's the high desert. So it's really beautiful, and really quiet. And this is the one thing, hmm. you know, I, I was thinking it might be different where you live, but for me, I couldn't remember the last time I had heard pure silence. Like at any uh. point in my day, if I stop, I can hear either like the highway or like construction or an airplane. Even when I go like for local hikes around here. But I went on one hike in Joshua Tree by myself. It was like an eight-mile hike. And at one point, I just stopped, and I couldn't hear anything. It was this, this, the purest silence I've ever heard, and it, it, felt, it felt very freeing in a way. I can't describe it. I felt very tranquil in that moment. It was, it was really mm-hmm. a, a beautiful thing for somebody who like focuses a lot on, you know, we talk about critical listening and focusing on sound. Pure silence really kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean because even here, and I'm pretty rural where I live, but even here, like there's the low quiet hum of traffic on the street, like pretty much right. constantly. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was very cool. So anyway, we did that and um, just getting a little bit of sunshine. I, I didn't do any work. Usually I do work on vacation, you know, a little bit here and there. I did do a little bit, I guess. I did bring my little interface and I yeah. was doing a little bit of like drum programming, but it was more like leisurely. Anyway, I, I much needed break. I feel refreshed. Uh, tell me about your holidays. They were good. So ours were kind of similar to yours and not with the super elaborate like quarantine plan and traveling to visit relatives, but we actually did go and visit my wife's aunt that lives in North Carolina. Oh yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, that was really cool. She essentially has not really seen anybody since Thanksgiving. Um, she's retired and with COVID, and she's a high-risk individual, so she has been very careful about who she's been around. So right. uh, it was just really nice to go down there and really more for her sake than ours, but we got a lot out of it too because she has a really nice wine cellar, so she always treats <laughs> us whenever we, <laughs> when we go cool. down there. But it was really nice to to hang out with her, see her, get some warmer weather. Um, other than that, it was pretty quiet, you know, like kind of a typical Christmas except less people, less busyness, but still nice. It's nice to be able to do that for somebody who's who's been alone, and, and uh, we all we all need that that human in person touch as we're all realizing. So that's good, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. I'm excited to to be in this new year, 2021, and uh, yeah, recording our first episode of the year here. I know, I'm excited, man. So we're gonna start today off with a DIY showcase from one of our community members, Joshua Cassidy. He's actually. Uh, bass player from Australia, and uh, he mm. sent us this song a little while ago, so uh, we're going to play it and then talk about it a little bit, and, and also we have some notes from him uh, that we'll, uh, we'll discuss as well. So let's see, we can line this up. This is a song called Isolating, and Joshua's... Uh, artist name if you want to look this up on it is available on streaming services is project levram uh, that's l-e-v-r-a-m and we'll have the uh the links in the show notes so let's um let's play a bit of this song and then we'll uh we'll banter cool Okay, cool. I guess let's start with some of uh, some of Joshua's notes here. He's basically saying he built this out of a. I love this term he uses. I did too. Yeah, that was really a cool. riff soup. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the best kind of songs come from riff soup. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So he, he said uh, it was a riff soup that he ultimately didn't find palatable, and so he ended up like you know reworking it and adding elements. Um, 
And uh, he said it was just pre-COVID-19, December 2019. Mm. Um, and he had kind of, he did something very cathartic. He removed all of the plugins on his machine and started over. And he said, this is really key. I, I love how, how his approach here. He said, you know, when I started, I didn't truly understand the industry and I was fitted with endless big name plugins. So I owned hundreds of compressors <laughs> I truly didn't know the tool well enough. So he's saying, you know, I have all these tools, but I don't know how to use them. So saying reducing my options in my workflow ultimately upped my understanding of each tool when working on this song. So this is a really a milestone song for him, it sounds like. And that's the feeling I got uh, when I talked to him. Yeah, as far as that exact topic you're talking about, though, like I think so many people that get into recording themselves in this DIY community uh, they struggle with this, I'll call it FOMO, <laughs> uh, as far as like yeah. feeling like I have to have these plugins and these pieces of gear or else I'm not, I'm not a real recording artist or I'm not going to sound as good as other people. And that's just patently not true. Like the gear can help, but what helps more is the knowledge, which is what Vadim and I are here trying to help all you guys out with. So yeah, I think that that's such a, that's such a key realization um, that he came to. And it takes a lot of courage and bravery and, and going against the, like even the marketing trends that you see out there, like all the, even the plugin companies and the gear companies that we love, they have a market interest in advertising you new and better things. So you're kind of going against the grain by saying, I don't need the newest, best thing. I just need to understand what I do have better. Totally. Absolutely. That's a great point. I love the way you put that as, as FOMO. I think that's something I still experience that every time I see a new plugin, I get an email <laughs> on one of my lists. I'm like, I, do, I need to have it. And it takes a little bit of like, wait a minute. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> do I? So uh, just a couple of notes on um, uh, what he used here. So so Joshua is a bass player by trade, but he also played the uh, distorted guitars here. Um, he said that, uh, I, I like what he says here from uh, things he learned doing the song. Um, he said, I needed to collaborate to complete my vision. I mean, we talk, you always yeah. talk about this, Ben, which I love, you know, it's like, be humble enough to ask for help. Don't try to do it all on your own. And he, in this particular case, he's saying, uh, he's not a guitarist. And so he played most of the guitar, but he recruited a friend to play some of the more intricate, clean parts in the verses. And uh, he said that was an important part of the vibe of the track. And also, he says he's a he's a death metal vocalist, so he needed to recruit a singer for some of the singy parts. And he said, you know, without that, the singer's name is Bryce. He said without Bryce's vocals, the song wouldn't be what it is emotionally. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else he says here. He said, this is my first attempt at writing drums from scratch. I've never played drums. I'm currently trying to develop uh, better skills uh, or better writing. This was really hard for me. Timing and velocities are robotic. I'm missing some of the smaller details in between the main notes. And he says here, this is interesting because this is one of my notes. He said the biggest flaw is the crashes being too heavily panned, which is uh, what I had on, on some of my notes. Mm. Let's get into some of our thoughts on it. Um, I, to start, I do want to say I'm laughing here reading his notes because he brought up Faith No More. And in my notes, I was like, this reminds me of Faith No More. I'm also oh, a 90s cool. kid. And uh, 
that's the vibe I got. And he's, he's citing another album, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. So I totally agree with that. I got a lot of Faith No More vibes. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, give me some of your thoughts, Ben. So I didn't, I didn't catch that, that he was a bass player, but I'm not surprised because I thought the bass tone was awesome. Cool. I'll give you all the things that I thought were great about the song. And I do think it is a really great song. Um, I think overall, this is really kind of the culmination of really good songwriting and good arrangement put together Mm. with really cool parts. And I think, and we'll get into it a little bit later, maybe some of the things that could have been better about the song. But I think that even the things that could have been better, what's good about the song overshadows those things. Agreed. Yep. That's an important note to make is that, you know, no matter what your skill is, if you write a good song, it is a good song. Like I still listen to songs now that I feel like, oh, that production isn't the greatest or that mixing is really terrible, but I still remember the feeling I get from the song. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's the most important thing. And I think he nailed it with this. Yep. I agree. That's, that's my, my biggest note as well as the, the biggest thing I loved is the mindfulness of the production. Like I really felt he took the time. You could tell with whether it was the little uh, glitch effect or whether in the beginning too with the vocal panning kind of moving around. And he's got this little mm. bit I love where like the guitar, there's a little guitar bend that kind of blends seamlessly with a vocal part where it, it kind of starts out like a vocal, but then you hear there's actually ends with a guitar bend. These little nuances, I just yeah, that's I could cool. tell how much care and attention were put into all of these little details, which I really love because it, it makes the production fun to listen to uh, throughout the whole thing. So I agree with you there. It does. Yeah. A couple other little things that I liked. Um, the ambience in the verses is really cool. I didn't yep. realize at first. So I listened to the song before I read any of his notes, and I didn't realize at first it was a different vocalist. I was like, oh, that's cool. He's singing, and then he's then he's shredding up his vocals on the choruses. <laughs> But no, that's awesome. Like, it's a better song because he collaborated with other people. It's really cool. Um, I thought that both the screaming and the sung parts were mixed really well. All the transitions are really cool. Like, you mentioned the glitch and tremolo effect and just really cool uses of throw delays, especially, like, at the end. Yes. Just everything just kind of just ambiently falls away and it was just really cool. Like... I never felt like I got bored listening through the song, which is always kind of my first, uh, when I'm listening to something critically to determine if I think it needs any production added or anything, I'll just listen through to, to, to see if I get bored at any part. And there wasn't a part where I did get bored. So good job, buddy. Success. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, the throw delays, the one I spiked out was, I think, at the end of the chorus, there's a scream vocal that has a really cool kind of throw delay effect on it, uh, which I really liked a lot. Um, what else? I thought the kick drum sounded really good. It was really punchy and kind of appropriately compressed. And uh, I liked the phasey bridge kind of... Uh, I forget exactly where that was, but there's like a phasey bridge where the drums are are kind of faded back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything else having has a phasey effect on it. That was really cool. And I thought the vocals, um, I do have a couple of constructive feedback notes on the vocals, but in general, I thought the vocal intelligibility and compression was really good. Uh, nothing kind of jumped out of the the mix at me and I could kind of hear, hear everything. Um, 
I'm a bit surprised. I, I liked the bass tone. Okay, tell me what you think. I was actually surprised for for a bass player. I thought the bass was way too quiet. I, I think it depends on um, like w- what role you want the bass to have. And well, I'm specifically like where... talking about the part where the chuggy guitars come in. Okay, and yeah, we can we can absolutely talk about that. So there's something that I did that I think fixed that. And I'd love to talk about that too. So we're getting into the more constructive areas of this. But tell tell me what else that you thought about this. Okay. Yeah. So before we get into that, yeah, I mean, I like the wide vocals. He's playing a lot with um with the you know vocals coming up the middle versus vocals coming from the side. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, that just kind of opened up the mix really nicely. Um, and let's see what else I had here. I already mentioned the compression. The compression on the screen vocals I thought was really good. I mean, it was you got to go heavy-handed with those screen vocals, and and that I thought was appropriate. Um, yeah, I mean, it, all in all, I agree with you. It was a good production, and I didn't get bored. I listened through it maybe four times in a row, and um, I listened to it in mono, and I thought the mono compatibility was good. Actually, in mono, I thought the bass sounded good, but that's because you know things that are pan center when you collapse to mono, they get uh, you know, a six decibel boost. And I thought in mm. mono, the bass was kind of appropriately loud in stereo. Uh, I wanted it to be a bit louder, but yeah, let's, um, what else you got? Let's get into some notes. Sure. So the constructive criticism I have, I'll go through the easy ones and then I'll talk about the big thing that I think needed a little bit of work. Okay. Um, so first of all, I thought, you know, for not being a drummer, Joshua, um, you did a really good job with the programming. I could tell that it wasn't a drummer that programmed it, but I didn't feel like it was distracting what you had in there. It was appropriate. It fit the song. So great. Yeah, it it always can be better, but I thought you did a good job. I thought that the kick sounded good, but I thought it was way louder than the rest of the drum shells. So what I would have done is I would have pulled the kick back a little bit and then pushed all the shells up front more because I felt mm. like I wanted just more, more snare and toms. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely wanted more snare. Um, I, I have to go back and listen to the toms, but um, yeah, okay, keep going. Uh, so I thought that these are my last two criticisms. Um, I thought the mix was very bright, but I thought a lot of that was also from the lack of low mids. But they also could that high end and more presence than it is like super highs. So I'm talking between like two to five kilohertz. What I did, I was I was very curious when I first pulled up the song. I thought something sounds off, something sounds a little odd as far as the mix goes. And I pulled up my spectrum analyzer, and you can almost see like this big scooping dip, like centered at 200 hertz, but it reaches mm. all the way from 100 to 500. And I just thought to myself, I I don't think I've ever seen so, like a spectrum analyzer like that in a song that I've ever listened to. And I was just curious, and so I was like, "What if I throw an EQ on here and I, you know, just play around with it a little bit?" And like I did, like just a parametric EQ, and I boosted five decibels at two hundred hertz. And I was like, "Oh, there's the snare drum and the guitars and the bass. They all came back." And so I, I almost would venture to guess that. Now the funny thing about this is, I thought that the vocals in that area sounded fine. I didn't hear any scoop, so I wonder if like the vocals were processed on a separate bus that you know that they were they were not being affected by like an instrument bus 
And I felt like there was a heavy handed, like low mid EQ scoop that just kind of happened. Uh, maybe from top down mixing, it, it just kind of sounded to me like how did all of the instruments kind of get affected in, in the same way? And I'm just wondering if maybe through listening to the song and like maybe a little bit of overanalyzing the, the brighter it got kind of sounded better and better because I've definitely kind of gone that way with my mixes before where I keep thinking it's too muddy. It's not bright enough. And normally when that happens is whenever I'm like listening too much and I'm not taking breaks. Tired, yeah. So I, I was just curious and I don't know, um, Joshua, if you want to give us the answer to that, I'm, I'm just curious what you might've done, but yeah, I just, I thought that the low mids were lacking a little bit and, you know, just pushing them back in there a little bit really kind of gave the, the guitars, the warmth and body that I felt like they needed. And the snare drum body kind of came back. And I feel like also with the bass, like we were talking about earlier, that when those mids came back in, it kind of helped the bass to sit forward a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree with you. To me, that it was a it was a balance issue across the whole mix. And in fact, to me, I, in the screaming vocals, uh, I could kind of hear that as well because I, I thought the screaming vocals were a lot of uh, throat and I wanted more like chest in them. And mm. I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be somewhere in that same frequency range. So interesting. yeah, I, I, that's interesting that you, you, you did that with the uh, analyzer and the EQ. Um, but I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that's almost like a mastering thing because it was so uniform. You're right. To, to my ears, like the snare was a little too thin, didn't have enough body. The guitars were a little too nasally. The bass wasn't there enough and and so it, it could be just as simple as that and i wonder if it is a top-down mixing thing so um yeah but all in all i mean the production was excellent um and that's pretty much my notes the, the only other note i had was this it sounds to me like um some of that stereo effect on the vocals was just that it was an effect and um mm. i wonder it actually sounded good in mono but i wonder if it would sound cooler if that was actually double tracked vocals and that might be yeah. really hard to do because I'm not, I can't scream vocals at all. So maybe this is too hard to do, but um, I could kind of tell for some reason that it was a stereo widening effect rather than like double tracked vocals, which can sound bigger for whatever reason. Do you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't actually place that, but now that you say it, that makes sense because I heard the width, but I couldn't like tell at first if like, Am I hearing with or not? And I think the reason is, is because it's the same performance. It was almost like a little phasey, phasey thing. It was super wide. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. I think that's a, I think that's a really good note. Yeah. And Joshua, I, I know we were being picky there at the end, but really, you know, it, it was a great track. I think yeah. that's, that's hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully that adds some value to, to people where we, tr we try to be a little bit picky as well, but love the production mindset that went into it and definitely keep up the good work especially since you know as a i think you know joshua says he's somebody who's newer to uh to producing and mixing so man i'll tell you what like my if if, if my first if one of my first 20 productions sounded that good i'd be uh really pumped, so <laughs> no that's for yeah, sure keep up the good work all right ben so today we are talking about latency enemy of 
all hardworking DIY yes. recording producers, especially those who have older computers. <laughs> Tell us about latency. What is latency? Okay, so just in general terms, latency is, and this definition is from Google, it is the delay between a user's action and a web application's response to an action. Or <laughs> <clears throat> I guess you could say, in this definition, it's a web application, so they're talking about browsing Right. The internet, but it could be an application on your computer. Uh, it's often referred to in networking terms as the total round trip time it takes for a data packet, which is the audio like that I'm speaking to this microphone right now that's transformed by my audio converter into ones and zeros. So that data packet, the total round trip time it takes for that to get uh, to your computer and back out. So that's the like high level definition of it. Yeah, that, that's a high-level definition I found, too. I found one on, on Wikipedia that was similar, but it was specifically talking about signal processing. But I'm going to take it a, a step further and say that, let's say it's, it's the sh- I'm, I'm modifying the Wikipedia definition. I'll say it's the short period of delay between when an audio signal enters a system and when it reaches your ears. I like that. The Wikipedia definition just stopped at when an audio signal enters a system and then it emerges. But like when it emerges, it still has to get to your ears. So I'm saying like it's <laughs> that whole thing. No, that's great. Is, that's is a really great, latency. That's a great point because even in the real world, we deal with analog latency. Like if I'm playing a keyboard, an analog keyboard, it still takes time for that sound to get to my ears. So there is a latency. It's just so small or so short that small my brain doesn't hear it as a delay. Exactly. And we're going to we're going to get into that when we start talking about like how much is too much, but the like a simpler definition I was thinking about is like pretend you're standing in a cave and you clap your hands and then half a second later you hear the clap echo. This is kind of like latency. Like half a second is how long it takes the cave to, you know, pro, quote unquote process the sound yeah. emanating from your hands. So in this in this example our cave latency has is basically a function of two things. One is the speed of sound in air, and two is how far you are from the reflective surface. So sound travels, this is going to be important, sound travels at 1,100 feet per second, roughly. So like if you're standing and the back part of the cave is 1,100 uh, feet away from you, then you will hear, it will take two seconds yeah, for you to seconds. hear your reflection because you clap and then it's got to go 1,100 feet and then it's got to come 1,100 feet back. Um, and so a cool trick, the reason I, I bring up that number, 1,100 feet per second, it's, it's helpful to remember because 1,100 feet per second is almost 1,000 feet per second. So a cool trick is like the number of feet you are away from something mm-hmm. is roughly the number, uh, the number of seconds of latency you will have from the time sound leaves that source the time it reaches your ears it works out about like that so if you're if you're a hundred feet away from the stage it takes about a hundred milliseconds for the sound to okay. re- get from the stage to your ears it's roughly a one-to-one ratio that makes sense and i can remember always being like slightly annoyed when i went to these outside amphitheater shows back whenever we still had live shows um in fact, the last time I went to one of those, it was Incubus was playing, and we were so far away from the stage. I swear that like they were playing the chorus. We could see them playing the chorus when we were still hearing the <laughs> verses. 
<laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Seriously, though, it was so distracting. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so distracting. You're right. Yeah, that's so that whole thing is because like light travels way faster than sound, right? Same effect as like at a baseball game. If you ever been to a baseball game back when we used to go to baseball games and like yeah. you can see the batter hit the ball and then like a split second later you hear the the crack of the bat. And that's the same yeah. same principle there. So yeah, in audio, basically our cave is our whole signal chain. Like you were saying, it's you know everything all the processing that has to go into the chain, plus this speed of sound and distance from the speaker thing, which usually in a studio, a home studio environment is negligible, but not uh, that the distance part, but we'll, uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. Just to start with like a super simple example, just to ground people a little bit. Let's just say I have a guitar that's plugged in through a bunch of pedals into an amp. Is there going to be latency in that system? Probably not. Most of the time you're not going to hear latency from pedals, analog pedals. Right. And that that's a key distinction for people to remember is that analog has no latency effectively because the stuff, the little electrons traveling down the wires are traveling at the speed of light. And <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you how fast that is. It's freaking fast. So, stupid fast. Yeah. It's stupid fast. So um, yeah, so we don't have to worry about latency when we're talking about purely an analog signal chain and that's going to be important when we start to uh, understand what we're going to how we're going to deal with latency in our setup good point going off of your example vadim i can remember one of the first times i really had to face dealing with latency from a recording perspective or a performing perspective i got the great idea um once i got my laptop and installed my daw on it and I realized, oh my gosh, like I can, I can use my computer as a guitar amp head and I could send signal through my computer and then play a live show, but have everything automated and controlled digitally. Mm. The one thing I didn't anticipate is that there was going to be a delay between what the notes that I'm playing and uh, that analog signal being turned into a digital signal that goes into my computer back out of my computer after it's affected by my amp sims and plugins and eqs or whatever else i have going on so then it has to come back out of the computer into an audio interface or into an a da converter get converted back from digital to analog and go out to the mains and you can get that time down very very short to the point where you might not recognize it, but I also started running into the problem of my computer crapping out because it couldn't handle what I was doing. <laughs> so yeah. this is this is where I, I think I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, what is this delay? What causes it? And what can we do to like to fix it? So I'll talk about maybe two perspectives. So from a recording perspective, latency is a really bad thing. We we don't want it at all because if you've ever tried to like play a keyboard and record it, but your latency was really, really high, it's almost impossible to track correctly because you're trying to play the part and you're reacting to the feel that the music is giving you, but you're physically hearing the notes played like a split second behind. So 
my at least my natural response is to slow down to match what I'm hearing. It's just impossible to to you know, keep up the playing and and have the same feel of the music, but you hear that split second delay. It's it's so distracting. It makes it impossible to record to. So that's a situation where we don't want any latency. Now there is a situation where we would like maybe as much latency as we can possibly get. And that's when we're done recording and we want to process a lot of things. And the reason why we want a, late, a lot of latency is um, you can think of latency also in terms of a lot of latency means we're giving our computer a lot of time to process what we're throwing at it. So if we have, let's go back to my guitar example. If I have a lot of things on that signal processing, let's say that I've got the most complicated amplifier in the world on it, and it takes <laughs> up a lot of computer power to run this program. Uh, I want as much latency in my computer as possible so that when this recorded track goes through it, it can kind of digest all that information that gets thrown at it in a split second and it doesn't slow down, give me weird clicks or bleeps or just kind of crap out on me. Now that's from the, right. that's from the producing the audio back after we've recorded it, but we can't work that way when we're recording. So, you know, th this is kind of like the two ways of thinking about it. Yeah, and I, I'm going to, I guess, take a little bit of issue because it's not that you want latency. It's that you're willing to <laughs> well, accept true. it. That's true. Fair enough. And you're willing to accept Fair it, enough. and we'll talk about why. But I want to plant a flag in a couple of things you said here, which is let's just plant a flag at uh, which bits. Uh, there's th really three bits I have noted that cause latency. Uh, one is the uh, AD and DA conversion. So when, anytime we have to convert from analog to digital or back from digital to analog, there is going to be some latency there, some delay. Two is what you said, which is digital signal processing. This is what anytime our computer has to take our bits and do something with them. So translation, a plugin is digital signal processing, right? Two plugins is more digital signal processing than one. So that those processes add latency as well. And the final one, which you also touched on, is buffering. So we'll, we'll talk a yes. little bit more about buffering later. So those are the three kind of sources of latency. And I think your point there was that we may have different thresholds of what we're willing to accept for recording versus for mixing, uh, and which, which I totally agree with. And I know you kind of play with this to find a sweet spot in your system. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. So I just want to give you, I just wrote down like four different examples of, of um, it, how to recognize latency that you may have a latency okay, that's problem. Great. Uh, one of them is the, the, the first one is actually the, what you said, which is you plug your guitar into your interface and you select some plugin to play it through. And in your headphones, you're monitoring the processed sound. So the signal gets a little bit delayed at a couple of points that we just mentioned. So from the time you play a note, if you hear a little bit of a delay from when you hear the processed signal, that is latency. And that's what you're saying is like unacceptable for tracking because you're hearing your backing track and then you're hearing your what you're playing a split second later. It's just not lined up. It's very difficult to track reliably that way. Yeah. So the second example is like, 
I'm not going to give the second example then until we give the solution. (laughs) But uh, another example would be like you have 10 tracks in your in your session and they all have different amounts of plugins on them. So like Mm. my first track has no plugins. My second track has five plugins. Well, that second track is going to is going to incur some latency within my computer because it needs to go through five plugins. So you can get a problem there where like that track with five plugins is going to sound like it's a little bit late all the time. And it turns out DAWs have a solution for this, which we'll talk about when we talk about solutions, but don't worry about that one. Um, And my last example was, let's say you are reamping something, or let's say you're sending something out of your DAW through some processing, maybe guitar pedals or whatever, and then back in. What you may notice is that you look at the DI track and then the track that came back in, and the track that came back in is a little late, right? It's a little bit later than your DI track, which again, could be a problem. And we'll uh, talk about how to solve that as well. Another example of this, as you were just talking, I realized another natural example of this is recording multiple sources on a drum kit. You're going to get that natural separation and latency. If you zoom in, you might notice that uh, your kick drum mics, um, they hear the signal of your kick drum instantaneously, but your overheads are going to hear them a couple milliseconds behind that. Right. And, and, and those mics, they're all going through the same like converters and everything. So the, the, the latency of the recording system is the same there. What you are heating is hearing is that distance, the latency quote unquote, due to the distance, a difference, which we talked about, uh, on the phase episode. So yeah, you're yes. right. That is a nice natural example. Um, I have a, I have a cool, this is, you know, I love these analogies, but I, I came up with a cool analogy for this. Nice. Oh wait, no, 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 sorry. That's yeah. So before I get to that, um, to understand, uh, how to, how latency is calculated, we also do need to understand, uh, two things. The first one is sample rate. And the second is buffer size. You want to explain sample rate, Ben? Yeah, sure. Sample rate is uh, the number of samples that your system can process per second, essentially. Uh, The number of samples of audio that your system can process every second. Right, the number it's capturing every second, yeah. Yeah, the number it's capturing. And the rule of thumb is you can record sound sources at half the sample rate. The ha- half the total sample rate. So uh, CD right. standard 40, 44,100 hertz, uh, hertz sample rate, we can record something up to 22, uh, 2,250 hertz. Right, yeah. That's called the, the Nyquist principle, and, and that's exactly right. So basically, Nyquist principle says that to record some frequency, whatever it is, your sample rate needs to be at least double the frequency. So what you're saying is, yeah, for the CD Redbook right. standard, 44.1 kilohertz means you can record up to 22, uh, 2250 uh, hertz, which is theoretically 2000 hertz higher than human hearing. So that's why it's you know considered good enough. Um, so yeah, so the, the, the sample rate is how many samples we're capturing per second. Uh, the second thing is buffer size. And uh, buffer size, this is where I have my, my funny analogy. Said so your, nice. your computer processor is like a fry cook at a really busy fast food restaurant, okay? It's, it's trying to cook all these orders. And the RAM that your computer has is like 
the stovetop. It's like the number of frying pans the, that the, the fry cook has. Well, the buffer is like the string that they clip orders to, click, <laughs> clip new orders to, okay? So if the string is really short, they can only clip two orders to it, then the, the rest of the orders are just being thrown onto the floor and the fry cook can't keep up. <laughs> and so you're going to get clicks and pops, which is to say that, uh, well, we'll get into that in a, in a second. So basically the buffer is your computer has a buffer where it stores some number of samples while it kind of waits for the processor to do its thing. And then it's giving those samples to the processor and then it's going back and getting the next batch of samples. So your your buffer size, uh, very commonly you'll see it referred to in samples. So some common ones are like 64, 128, 256, 512, right? So what that means is like if, if you have, uh, if you've set your buffer size to 128, that means your computer is going to go get 128 samples of audio, bring them to the CPU, and then hold the next 128. And so a bigger buffer means more latency. Like, again, the fry cook has a lot, a really long string of orders. You're going to have to wait a really long time to get your, your burger. Yeah. But um, too short of a buffer means that the fry cook can't keep up, and you're going to get clicks and pops in your audio. He's going to drop some burgers on the floor. <laughs> right. I love that analogy. That's a good analogy. Cool. Thanks. Um, so, so the the here's the key relationship between buffer, sample rate, and latency. This is kind of the the uh, the moral of the story here. Is that the number of uh, the the sample rate and the buffer size are related? So, for example. Um, Let's say my buffer size is set to 128 and my sample rate is 44.1 kilohertz. Well, right. that means I'm going to have 128 samples divided by 44.1 thousand samples per second. That is the calculation for your latency. That gives you three milliseconds of latency. Okay. So you can see how this, the, uh, the buffer size is on the, the numerator of the equation and the sample rate is in the denominator. So lowering your buffer size will lower your latency. But if you lower it too much, you'll get clicks and pops. Makes sense. This is also why I didn't understand before, and I obviously had never just thought it through. But in researching this today, I finally understood why a higher sample rate actually gives you better latency, but it's kind of negligible. So it's not really worth well, that, just that, increasing it for that reason. That's a great point. I mean, so, so yeah, because you're taking the opposite side of that equation or the denominator of that equation is the sample rate. So if you make a bigger sample rate, that's going to lower your latency as well. But this is where you have to be a little bit careful because, so you might think like, I'm, I'm going to double my sample rate and I'm going to cut my yeah. latency in half. You might, but a higher sample rate also puts more stress on your CPU. Your CPU has to do more processing. So you might yeah. actually find that- Every second. When, <laughs> every second, it has to do twice as much processing. So you might find that you actually have to increase your buffer size then in order to avoid getting clicks and pops. So I would say try it. You know, If you're struggling with latency, maybe try to go to a higher sample rate and it might help you, but um, that's going to be a bit of a tug of war. Even in just uh, a simple example, so- if we were working at, let's say, a buffer size of 512 at CD quality 
44.1 kilohertz. That equals a latency of 11.7 milliseconds. I have it written down. I didn't do the math that quick. <laughs> <laughs> so if we changed our sample rate from 44.1 to 48, that only changes our latency by one millisecond. So it goes from 11.7 gotcha. to 10 milliseconds. It's kind of negligible. negligible. So, yeah. yeah, good point. It's an interesting result, but it's not really practical in that sense. Yeah, good point. I did want to mention another thing with the buffers too. Yep. So you're right, you're right in everything that you said, but there's also a couple other places where buffers come into play. And I don't know if you wanted to mention this or not, but we also have the transport front buffer for USB and the transport back buffer for USB. Oh, well, uh, tell me. No, I don't yes. know this. It's kind of annoying. And this is why like, uh, I have a lot of problems, I think, with my system because it's a USB 2 interface. There's like a buffer associated with your your audio driver that's installed on your computer. Right. Uh, so that's adding time and processing time. But you also have this transport front and back buffer. And when I was doing my research today and reading, I realized that part of the problem with using... Now, USB interfaces are great. They're very convenient. Um, but part of the problem is you can only get the the buffer size so so small before it becomes unstable. Hmm. And so there's there's an inherent amount of latency that you just get from the physical connectivity of USB. Because if you drop it too low, like we want it to be lightning fast, that's what we would prefer as recording engineers. We just can't quite get it as low as we possibly could want it. Because if we get it that low, then we run into stability issues. And so it's kind of similar with a CPU where it starts crapping out. Interesting. And so they're constantly updating drivers and making things better. But there's just uh, nothing really we can do about it. But it's just interesting to note that there is this additional buffer just from having USB, which you don't necessarily get from newer technologies like Thunderbolt because they have drivers that read digital data directly from uh, from memory without having to buffer. So it eliminates really any latency going through that right. connection. Right, right. It's directly to the motherboard. And and, and the, the key thing, and another key thing is there is no appreciable difference in latency between USB 2 and USB 3. Interesting. Which is, which is surprising, right, you think. But the analogy I've heard used, I think I've said it before on the podcast, is that USB 3 is like having a bigger truck but driving on the same highway as the USB 2 smaller truck. Like you're stuck in the same, you can carry more stuff, but you're stuck in the same traffic. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, just a couple notes there. Uh, yeah. Where do you have, where do you have to go from there? Um, I was going to start talking about, um, uh, I guess we could start talking about solutions or how much latency is yeah. acceptable. What do you, what do you have next? That's basically what I have. Let's talk about what's uh, acceptable. Yeah, so yep. we talked about at the beginning um, a noticeable amount of latency and an unnoticeable amount of latency. So in general, latency between 3 to 10 milliseconds, your brain won't even notice as a delay. So I would say that 3 to 10 milliseconds, that's very acceptable. And then we get kind of get into this no man's or this in-between land of 10 to 20 milliseconds where 
you don't really hear it as uh, a delayed uh, recording coming back to you, but you can start uh, physiologically feeling that there's something wrong, that there is some kind of delay. I actually used to have this on my old podcast that I, I did with my buddy where he couldn't ever wear um, headphones whenever we were doing our recording sessions because he could kind of hear that latency and it bugged him so much that he would just, he just recorded, you know, like without monitoring what he was hearing because even mm. though it wasn't high enough latency that it was, oh, I hear myself delayed in my headphones. It was enough that like it bothered him. So that's kind of yeah. the, the in between no man's land of 10 to 20 milliseconds. Now, anything really above the 20 milliseconds, you start to get into this uh, territory that we we don't like, which we can perceive as a actual, you know, a bounce back note or, or a delay if we're monitoring ourselves. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the, any, above that 20 millisecond threshold, you actually start to hear a slap back. But I think those numbers are a little bit higher than I expected. My, my estimates were, or my numbers were kind of more instrument dependent, but specifically mm, for- Interesting. Yeah, specifically for vocals, I think- it really needs to be as low as possible because there's this effect, maybe for podcasting, it's not as important, but for singing, there's this effect of the brain where like you're making a sound. First of all, we record vocals. We, we want to use closed back headphones typically so that we don't get bleed from the headphones into our microphone. So in a perfect world, we're getting good isolation and the singer is hearing themselves through basically what the mic is hearing. If you're opening your mouth and you know you're making a sound, even if there's like a 10 millisecond delay, I think that throws would throw most singers off, even even at 10 milliseconds. I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, for working, um, like if I'm recording somebody in my studio, I'm going to do whatever I can to get that latency basically to zero. Let's say I'm recording a vocal over a track with a lot of production. I'll even like make some, um, uh, what am I saying? Concessions as far as I'll get rid of some instruments or plugins, you know, yeah, to make to make it better because it's that important. Right, that's a good point. Um, for percussive instruments, I, I think you had the nice a nice target. I think like five to ten is is a nice target for percussive instruments um so the drummer doesn't you know drag or anything like that guitar is the really interesting one and this is the one that surprises a lot of people um and to understand this you you can be you can have more latency for guitar than you might think and to understand that we have to go back to our speed of sound example uh so you know if you're if you're if you think about you're you're playing guitar and you're hearing really the sound that's coming out of the amp if that amp by our, our you know, uh, one-to-one ratio rule that I kind of laid out earlier, if that amp is 10 feet away from you, which is not that far, 10 feet away, that's like nine milliseconds of latency. Wow. Right? That's significant. Yeah, it's significant. So like if it's, you know, 15 feet away, that's almost 15 milliseconds. So like you can imagine that if you were playing an amp and you were 15 feet away from the amp, that's like, you know, a living room away from the amp, you'd probably be okay well, that's 15 milliseconds of, of latency. So you can get away with more than you think for guitar, mm. but vocals, not as much. It's really interesting. 
that makes me think of playing live shows and stuff. And I can't say I've ever played a live show where I was far enough away from my bass that I noticed the latency issue. I wish I was a guitar player in a live band so that I could, because I feel like those guitar frequencies are higher in the spectrum. So it would be more obvious if there was that latency, but Interesting. I can't ever remember thinking, man, I'm so far away from my amp. This latency is unbelievable. <laughs> well, and I wonder, like with with big band shows, I mean, obviously monitoring uh, on a live in a live show is huge, right? So I would imagine that, like, yeah, that monitoring becomes really important if you got that that Marshall stack way behind you or yeah. something like that. Uh, having the floor monitors or in ear monitors is probably crucial to getting a tight performance, right? That's a that's a really good point too. Like, I would rely on that more. Like, I, I'd much rather have a good monitor mix than hear my amp well because. Mm. I'm facing away from it anyways. My ears aren't even like pointed towards my bass amp. So yeah, right. you're right. So you're kind of, you're you're getting more direct sound from your monitor than you are from the amp that's making sound. Right. Cool. Well, let's get into some, uh, some solutions, man. What do you got? How do you, we understand it. It's a problem. Uh, it sucks, but we most, a lot of us, most of us maybe have USB or even older FireWire interfaces. What do we do, Ben? How do we deal with latency? Man, I've got a whole bunch of solutions. <laughs> some that... I've got nine solutions for you. There's probably more. But these are my nine fail-safe solutions. Some are free. Some will cost you $1,000. I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> to get them from you or because of hardware upgrades? Because of hardware upgrades. Okay. No, right. I'll so give them to you Your for suggestions free. are free. That's good. Yes. <laughs> I can't right. charge for latency problems. Uh, anyways, so this the simplest one, and hopefully this solves it, uh, if you're having latency issues in your recording monitoring situation, turn down the buff buffer size on your computer. And I'll also mention, and your DAW. My DAW has a separate buffer from the Great computer point. buffer system. So does mine. And Great point. That was new in a Studio One upgrade that I did not realize, and I was really embarrassed one day where it took me an hour to figure out how to get rid of this latency when I had a client <laughs> over. Uh, uh. So, yeah, and it turned out that I had my computer buffer as low as possible, but Studio One buffer was in the middle of the in, in the middle of the selector. So I mean, you I had, had your you had your interface buffer low, but your DAW buffer was too high. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Exactly. All right. Cool. What um, else you got? Oh, you want me to go through all of mine? Oh, I mean, we could, we can, uh, yeah, you want to go back and forth? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, that, that's definitely a great one. Lower the buffer size. My, my first trick is uh, something called direct monitoring, which oh, is- Oh, great trick. Which allows uh, basically the audio that's coming out of your microphone or out of your guitar going into your interface, instead of sending it through the converters into your computer, it basically just sends it through the preamp and then right away back out to your headphones. So you're not hearing any of the, you're not getting any of the computer processing. You're basically getting the dry sound, but you're getting basically a hardware signal path there with basically yeah. no latency. So that could be, you don't get the effects of uh, plugins, but you get a very low latency signal. That's a great point. I didn't realize what that control was for when I first got into recording, but it's for this exact situation because I always thought, wait, I want to hear what my performance sounds like going through all these cool plugins because I'm entirely in the box. You know, I'm not right. 
unless I'm recording a real amp, I'm not getting like anything. Why would I want to hear that, that dry, yeah. dry, annoying signal? Um, and this is why, because if you're having latency issues, this is a way around it. Absolutely. Uh, here's another one that's, so if you're like me and you like to record through your plugins and, and monitor that actively, here's a idea you might not have thought of, but use low latency modes of your active plugins. There's a lot of plugins, not all of them, but there are some plugins out there. Uh, Sonarworks is one of them where I love having it on. And this is the room correction software. I love using it in my headphones as well, but you have to run it on uh, zero latency mode or else you're going to get a whole ton of latency. Mm. It's a really good, uh, really good thing to keep in mind. That's a great one. And I'm going to, I didn't even think of that on my list, but I'm going to piggyback on that. Some, some of these plugins like amp sim plugins have something called oversampling, which you generally should do when you're bouncing your final files. It, 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 well, it, I'm not going to get into the details, but it gives you better quality for, <laughs> because we're just to keep it short on time, but you can turn that off. Sure. You can turn oversampling off and I haven't played around with this, but I'm assuming you would get some improvement in latency. Yeah, I'm sure you would. Cool. What's your next one? Um, that's pretty much <laughs> all I do. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Bet- between well, those things, that's pretty much what I do. But I will, I'm going to give you a very, very cool trick that I, I picked up maybe two years ago for okay. recording vocals. Um and getting the best of both worlds. So very commonly, uh, vocalists don't like the sound of their dry voice, especially in a studio, which tends to be a very acoustically dry place. Uh, the voice sounds very dry, and vo- you know nobody likes the sound of their own voice anyway. Vocalists, because they're such special unicorn creatures anyway, right? <laughs> they're very sensitive. And so hearing their dry voice sometimes in their headphones, I find throws them off. So it's a common practice to put a little bit of reverb on vocals, right? So you want reverb, but reverb is a very CPU-intensive process. So right. how do you control your latency? And I found this really cool trick where I will take my vocal track that I'm recording and I will send from that track to a reverb bus, okay? And I mute the vocal track. But my send is a pre-fader oh. send. So I'm, my vocal track is muted, but I'm still sending to the reverb bus. Then I turn on my direct monitoring. So the vocalist is hearing the dry signal, but they're also hearing the reverb send, which is going to be delayed by 10 milliseconds or 12. And I don't care because it's a reverb send and it's, gonna, it's supposed to be a tail anyway. So you get this nice pre-delay reverb effect. Works super well. That is a great hack. I love that. That's awesome. And basically, that that little bit of latency is just going to be a pre-delay on your exactly. reverb track. It's actually preferable anyway, so it's yeah, nice. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. That's a really great hack. All right, I've got a bunch of others here because yeah, man, I deal I'm, with this I'm, on a daily I basis. I'm actually taking notes on your nine here because... Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's hear it. So I'm, I'm running a pretty old i5 processor. I bought it back in 2015. 2015 and i think this is part of the reason why i have a lot of these plugins like first of all i (laughs) i have really high number counts on my tracks and i'm running an old pc so it's just not keeping up so a lot of times 
I run my buffer as low as possible when I'm recording, and then I switch it to be as high as possible when I'm mixing. Right. That's kind of my workflow. That's that's how I go about things. So I had to do a lot of tricks to help me save on the latency game. Um, so another easy one is turn off plugins you're not using. Like this is such a simple one, but mm. it's surprising sometimes the plugins that make like a a really big difference. Like DSer, the DSer I use is like a CPU hog. Mm. It's it's insane. And sometimes I'll forget that why am I hearing this delay? Oh, it's the DSer that I have on here. It's actually it adds a ton of latency. So that's one. Um, Let me just add something there because that is a really good point. And I know on, I think on Pro Tools, I don't know if this is true on every DAW, but there's a difference between bypassing a plugin and actually making yes. it inactive. And to get the the full latency benefit, I think you actually need to make it inactive, right? Yes, I believe you're right because you're still, to bypass it, it's still activated. It's just flipped off. You're, exactly. you're basically... Yeah, so you're you're correct about that. You actually have to turn it off. The idea behind the bypass button is just so if you're testing, you know, what does it sound like with or without? Right. You can hit that and it doesn't like click or it doesn't jar your system because of the latency change. Exactly. Uh, another cool one, I, I believe this is across all the DAWs, but they call it freezing your tracks in Studio One. So when you freeze a track, it, uh, prints all of the effects on the track itself. So you can still get the effects that you want. So I would use this in situations where I have like 20 guitars that have amp sims on them, but I need to record a vocal. So I just freeze all of my amp sims. And what that means is that they're printed on the track, but I can go back and unfreeze them and make adjustments later if I, if I need to. But it yes. saves me on latency for the recording time. That's awesome. That yeah. So the the freeze button uh, it basically bounces that track on top of itself. So it effectively yeah. makes all the plugins inactive, but it's printed the track with all those plugins. And now, now that you're talking about this, I do a lot of stuff that I guess I didn't realize I, I was doing because when I go into uh, recording a part for like a big session, I will maybe this is one of yours, uh, but I will very commonly just like bounce all of my stuff into a stereo file and open that in a new session even. I do that just, all the time. Yeah, just have my instrumental and then like record my vocals there. And I don't, that way I don't even have to worry about like deactivating plugins and doing all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, sometimes that makes it easier too, especially like if you're recording a lot of vocals, the last thing you need is a hundred other tracks of instrument to sort through while you're also sorting the vocals. So I love that idea of just bounce out the stereo file. It doesn't even need to sound like perfect anyways, just right. so the vocals can be tracked. Yep. Uh, another one, now we're, now we're getting into more of the things that, uh, some of these are tongue in cheek, but um, these are the things that are going to be like uh, upgrades. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I feel like if you have an interface with onboard DSP processing, you're going to be using it or you bought it specifically for that reason. But just in case people might not be aware of this, there are some interfaces, in fact, I'm eyeing one right now that I might buy in the near future, uh -oh. that have uh, that have onboard essentially uh, processors that can process some effects and plugins that is bypassing your CPU so you can get the the basically the 
round trip active monitoring that Vadim was talking about, the, the direct monitoring, but you can still have effects on them through this DSP processing. Yep, I do that all the time. I have a, a universal audio interface that has onboard uh, digital signal processing. And so you, if you have an interface like this, it's not in your DAW, it's in the software that comes with the yeah. interface. You can actually load plugins there and get low latency processing with effects. Very cool, maybe a little pricier in the as far as the interface market goes. Yeah, another one, um, normally your computers will do this for you automatically, but maybe it's worth checking out. Uh, update your audio drivers. Uh, if you have an outdated one, they can be slower. So maybe if you've tried all these things and you're still having issues, go check the manufacturer website of your interface just to see if maybe there's a new driver you can install that solves the problem. Great point, great point. Um, I, I did... Uh, remember one thing too about um, when I said you know you might have tracks with different processing and different uh, uh, some sometimes a track in your session will sound delayed just during playback. Uh, this is a, a function in Pro Tools that you can toggle on or off. It's called delay compensation. Mm. I'm assuming DOS have something similar, but basically what it does is it says, okay, you got all these tracks. You're Ben. You have 90 tracks. It's going to find the track with the longest amount of processing time. And it's going to delay all the other tracks to match that one. It's sort of like what you're doing when you're making your buffer size really big. So like from when you hit play to when you hear audio might be a little bit of a delay, but you don't care when you're working on right. like post stuff. Right. I don't know how to actually turn that off in my DAW. Yeah, there's a toggle in, in Pro Tools. And so, I forget why, but sometimes I need to turn it off. Um I can't hmm. remember why. I think when I'm recording, there's occasionally, maybe I want to do something with MIDI. I occasionally need to turn that compensation off because I don't oh. want the track I'm working on being compensated for the other tracks. Like if I'm recording MIDI. Oh, yes. Okay. So I know this. there's a solution to this in Studio One, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to turn off the delay compensation. But so in Studio One, and I'm sure it's in other DAWs too, you could set your MIDI delay compensation to be ahead or behind. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, it that. is cool. So if you're recording a MIDI part, but you have a lot of latency instead of it, um, you know, you might sound like you're recording the part perfectly when you're, you're playing your keyboard role. And then you hit the playback and you're like, what? I was ahead of the beat by like 10 milliseconds yeah. every... So you can adjust that in a MIDI in a MIDI setting. Um, I need to find that in Pro Tools because that, that actually is my problem with MIDI is all my MIDI notes come in early. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I there's, just, you can manually. I'm sure there's got to be something but, in there. Yeah, I'm sure there's something in there. A setting. And similarly, there is a similar setting for um, analog stuff for like an input-output combination. Like when I was talking about the reamping example, if you send stuff out of your DAW through some stuff and then back in, you can physically zoom in on the waveforms, the original waveform and the recorded one, and you can take your cursor tool and just drag from the peak. Uh, of the original file to the peak, that same peak of the recorded file, that is your latency. And most, uh, not most, but a lot of DAWs will give you the ability to to manually put in that offset. So you're kind of like telling the system, hey, when I do this input-output combination, automatically bump my track back by this amount because this is my oh, system cool. latency. And that works pretty well for um, for that sort of reamping thing. Very cool. So I've only got two others and I'll just blast them off really yeah. quick here because uh, 
They're kind of the tongue-in-cheek ones. So, (laughs) Fire your fourth guitarist. Yeah. No. uh, So the other way you could deal with latency here is upgrade your uh, audio interface connection type, USB Mm -hmm. 3C or Thunderbolt. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm, I'm going through this right now with thinking about a computer upgrade, and it's kind of a pain in the butt thinking through all the things that I kind of need and want in into one package that has all the connectivity that I would desire. Uh, I all I'll say is that I wish that Thunderbolt was a more universal connection type because it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome, and I, I mentioned this before. I I don't know if this is still true, but as of six months ago, uh, Thunderbolt interfaces were actually cheaper than USB three interfaces. Like if you look at like the Universal Audio, like Apollo Twin or something. The Thunderbolt versions are actually cheaper, and I think that's why. I think because there's less demand because people don't have the connectivity on their machines for it universally. Yeah, so this is getting off topic a little bit, but I've been searching online for... I've been debating between whether I want to get an Intel or AMD processor with my new computer because AMD is becoming way more competitive and it's more affordable. But the problem is... I could literally only find one, count it, one motherboard that I could buy for my AMD that had Thunderbolt connectivity. There is not another motherboard on the market that has Thunderbolt connectivity for AMD. So I'm basically stuck going with Intel if I want to do that kind of a build. But I think you're exactly right. Like there's Thunderbolt's awesome, but it just hasn't been... we're in an interesting position as audio people, our DIY recording people, because we need a lot of, it's interesting because we need a lot of CPU power to do these specific audio programs and operations in a way that a gamer doesn't need. And so I feel like because gaming, most PCs or people that are building PCs or, or doing or need like a, a big computer, they're either doing video graphic type of things or they're gaming. Right. And audio has a very other specific need where you need like a lightning fast connection. And there's there's just not that demand out there. So And and, and you don't care about graphics cards at all. Exactly. <laughs> at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what I'm begging you guys is more of you out there need to just start recording. <laughs> so that there can right. be the demand. More demand. Yeah. <laughs> Help us out, will you? Exactly. All right. What's your last one? Last one is uh, buy a new computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sometimes, I mean, my computer is six years old now, and I'm feeling it, which is, that's a pretty old computer. I, I would think that if you get, like, a top-of-the-line computer today, like, hopefully it can last eight to ten years, but that's that's being really hopeful. Yeah, but the the, the nice thing is that I think we are reaching this kind of, it's like an asymptotic thing, like we're like with Thunderbolt, right? Once once mm-hmm. Thunderbolt becomes universal, there's nowhere to improve from there. Like you'll have zero latency. So like basically, you know, it's not we don't need to make infinite. It's not like in 20 years it, it's zero latency will become too slow. Like zero latency is zero latency in a couple no, you know of what's years. Gonna happen? You know what's going to happen next? What? Recording engineers will be recording multiple bands at the same time. And so we'll, then we'll need the, the higher I thought you were going to say they're going to go back in time and record old bands that don't even exist anymore. <laughs> that, maybe that's the future. 
That the, might be. That's the future of rock, at least. The uh, the connections will be so fast, like in that Superman movie, where you can actually you'll actually be able to go back in time. Uh, yeah, that was not the best Superman movie. That's just <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Very cool, man. Well, this is a really good practical list. I hope it uh, it helps yeah, people it was out a, fun episode. a lot with uh, understanding latency, what it is, and how to deal with it. Good episode, man. Good episode to uh, to come back on. Yeah, this is great. I learned a lot as well, just even doing my research. But uh, I hope this has helped you guys. And like we always say on the podcast, remember to check yourselves before you wreck yourselves. Have a nice one. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.